Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. Uh, but what we're going to pick up is in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Can you stand to your feet in honor of reading God's word? We're going to pick up in 1 Samuel 15 verse 13. Context for this scripture uh, God has asked uh, King Saul to destroy the Amalekites, and he asked him to destroy all, all the people, all the livestock, um, all the possessions that they had. He said, don't leave any gold or, or, or don't take any gold with you. Leave it all behind. Destroy everything. Someone say everything. He said, destroy everything of the Amalekites, and Saul, as we, if you've read about Saul, came to to do, he made a selfish decision and decided to disobey God, and he actually spared the lives of the Amalekite king, and he even would take the best of the livestock and the gold and silver for himself and his army. And so the prophet Samuel, of course, had something to confront him about for disobeying God, and that's where we pick up in verse 13. It says this. It says, when Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully, saying, may the Lord bless you. He said, I have carried out the Lord's command. Then Saul responded, Samuel responded, Then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the, and the lowing of cattle I hear? He said, it, Saul said, It's true. The army spared the best of the sheep, the goats, and the cattle. Saul admitted. Samuel was saying, If you obeyed God, then why do I see all of the livestock, all of the gold and silver that you have taken from the Amalekites for yourself? But Solomon, but they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. And we have destroyed everything else. Then Samuel said, stop and listen. Turn to your neighbor and say, stop and listen. He says, stop and listen. That was Samuel's way of saying, shut up, right? Slapped him upside the head, said, stop and listen. He said, stop and listen to what the Lord told me last night. He said, what did he tell you, Saul asked. Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed? Everybody say obey. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sights? We're almost done, verse 20. But I did obey the Lord. Man, Saul, this, this is stupid Saul. If you, if, you read, if you read scripture, there's some like times of smart Saul, you know, at the beginning. This is, this is when Saul got stupid. He said, I did obey the Lord. He said, I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everything else. Then my troops bought, brought the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, and plundered to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Wow. Wow. Listen, he said, obedience. Everybody say obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than the offering of fat rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. Mm -mm. Stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Oof. 
what I want to talk about tonight is really what obedience does for us, but also what disobedience can also do. And really how there's an opportunity in each decision that we make. And, and that's the title for tonight. Turn to your neighbor and say, the opportunity of obedience. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this house, God. We break every distraction right now. We break any stronghold. Father, if there's any weight, we remove it right now. If there's any stress, it must go right now. God, we call for freedom in this house. Let your spirit reign. God, that your will be done and that we're going to see fruit from tonight. We're going to see bondage be broken. We're going to see chains fall off. We're going to see, God, that you are the one who you say you are and we're going to see miracle signs and wonders and we're going to have a transformation take place and we're going to leave this place better than what we came we love you jesus and everybody says amen 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 give jesus a hand clap of praise and, and you can be seated thank you for standing in honor of reading god's word it's it if you know where Haley and I are in life, it's an exciting time for us. Um, our daughter, Sayla, is going to turn one years old next month. I tell you, it went by like that, and fatherhood has been really awesome. It's been more than I could ever imagine, and there's been so much joy, and, and uh, to me, this is, there's nothing better than, um, than being a, a parent and really, during this time of, of Sayla's life, we are starting to see the glimpses and, the, and really the silliness of her personality. Um, and it's really coming out. And she loves to laugh. And she, she loves to, to, you know, to play games. And there's, there's different weird games we'll play throughout the day. Um, earlier today, she was just throwing everything out of her, of her playpen. She'd throw everything out, and I'd bring it all back in. She threw all her toys out again, and then I bring them all back in. We did that for about 30 minutes. We were laughing the whole time. Um, and there's different things where we're really seeing her personality come out. Uh, but a lot of um, parents have given me this, this advice. Um, they have given me the advice of when you're raising a young one, a little one, one, two, three years old, that you'll begin to, to, to see and learn that... Although you do have to really teach them how to be obedient, you definitely don't have to teach them how to be disobedient, right? Like, they will know how to disobey on their own. Like, you don't have to tell them how to hit. You don't have to tell them how to lie. You don't have to tell them how to do what is wrong. But you do have to instruct and to teach them how to do what is right, but it's funny that even when we are born into this world, just like Scripture says, we're born into a nature of sin. That it's in our nature to be disobedient to God. It's in our nature to be in rebellion towards God. That ever since Adam and Eve made the first disobedient decision and made sin enter into the world, since then, you and I, we are born into sin. Nobody has, has to tell us how to be bad, right? Nobody has to show us how to be disobedient. But we do have to learn and by the grace and by really the, the power of God to be obedient to him. But if there's something that I have seen and learned in my relationship with God, I have learned that the more I have grown in my relationship 
with God, the more I want to be obedient to what he says. Like the more I have gotten to know God's character and who he is, the more I want to be obedient to his voice. Really early on in my walk with God, I, I remember, man, I, I, I was so nervous about being disobedient. I was so nervous. I would pray prayers like this. I would say, God, please help me be obedient today. Matter of fact, God, remove all other options. Remove all other decisions I could make besides the one that it is you want me to make. Wouldn't that be easy if life was like that? Where we had no other choice but to be obedient to God. And that was, that's what I used to pray, but, but really that's not the point, right? Being obedient to God is not us being forced to choose God. Being obedient to God is us having the faith to choose God. And that's what obedience is all about. It's not about us having no options but God. It's about us having all these options, all these decisions to make, all these different things we could do, but having the obedience to follow him. And that's what it's about. And so now I pray prayers like this. I say, God, help me know and see your will. Help me have the clarity of mind in my spirit to know where you are, are guiding me and give me the boldness and the strength to follow after you. God, give me, give me that strength, that boldness to be obedient to you because truly, truly obedience to God is that important. If there's one thing that's so important to our walk, something that we really have to be intentional about is that we have to be obedient to God. There's no way around it. Like if I was talking to, to somebody who just said yes to Jesus, I'm not going to give them the advice of saying, hey, you know what? Thank you for saying yes to him, but you don't really have to listen. You'll be just fine. That'll be the worst advice, right? Oh, you don't, you know, all you need, you can do, thank you for saying yes to Jesus, but you can go out and do your own thing because now that you've said yes to him, it doesn't matter what you do. But if there's something that is very important for us to be, is to be obedient to God. It's truly what decides and what really alters the path that we take is are we going to be obedient or not? Because if there's something that the story of Saul that we just read tells us, it tells us that being obedient to God is the, of the utmost importance. It's not something in the back of our mind. It's not something that we say, hey, first let me exhaust all these options that I want to do. Then I'll be obedient. It's not something that we're supposed to treat lightly. No, the first thing that we need to think about when we make a decision is, is this decision line up with God's will. That should be the first thing we think about. And if you read the story of Saul, you will see how important obedience is. But you also see that there is consequence. Everybody say consequence. There are consequences to disobedience. 1 Samuel 15, 23. We read it together, but it says this. It says, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. Stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. And he told Saul this. So because you have rejected, everybody say rejected. Because you have rejected the command of the Lord... He has rejected you. Disobedience will disqualify us from God's will. Disobedience will disqualify us from the will of God. You might be saying, well, 
Pastor CJ, does that mean I have to be perfect? No. But what that does mean is that if we choose rebellion, if we choose rejection of God's will, we are taking it out of God's hands for him to be able to bless us. Because if you think about it, how can God reward you for rejecting him? How can God bless you for choosing to disobey him? How can God place you in his will if you're not willing to follow after him? It doesn't work. Some of us are so confused because we're like, hey, I'm trying to be in God's will. But look, if we are not willing to obey God, it doesn't matter what else we choose, we will not be in God's will. It doesn't matter how smart you think you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter how, much, how many PhDs you have behind your name. If you're not obedient to God, you cannot be in God's will. It's that simple. Because if you look at the story of Saul, he tried to have the best of both worlds. I'm sure that's none of us. If we read the story of Saul, he said, you know what? I want to obey God and I want to obey myself. I want to do what God wants me to do while at the same time doing what I want to do. And because of his disobedience, he was disqualified from being king. But obedience is what positions us for that promotion. Because here's the good news. On the flip side, disobedience disqualifies us. But on the other side, obedience positions us. And that should make you really be thankful to God. Because it's not about what you do for yourself and obeying your own will. Because I don't know about, about you, but I have no idea what's going on. If I just chose to obey my best ideas, it wouldn't be pretty. But if I have access to a God that sees all things, knows all things, knows me better than I know myself, and I have the opportunity to be obedient to him, best believe it, we're going to take it. Because only God can position us for that promotion. Obedience is what positions us. It's what aligns us with God's will. Obedience truly is worth it because obedience, when we seek after obedience, we will find the blessings and the favor of God. Obedience truly is worth it. Turn to your neighbor and say, obedience is worth it. Obedience is worth it. 1 Samuel 15, 13, as we continue on with the story, it says, when Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. Everybody say cheerfully. Saul greeted him cheerfully. He said, may the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's command. Saul greeted Samuel like he did nothing wrong. You remember when you were a kid and you broke something while the parents were away? And they come back and you're like, mom and dad, I'm so glad you're here. And you mentioned nothing about the broken vase or whatever you broke. Thinking that he can sweep it under the rug, right? Saul approached Samuel acting like nothing was wrong. Trying to convince himself that he was in God's will. Let me tell you this. I don't want to live a life trying to convince myself I'm in God's will. I want to live a life that I'm confident that I'm in God's will. I don't want to live day by day wondering, God, is this where I'm supposed to be? 
Because I'm going to tell you, that's a life I don't want to live. I want to live day by day being confident in who I am and being confident I'm where God's supposed to be taking me. That's where I want to be. Saul was living his life saying, may the Lord bless you. Right? All cheerful, acting like everything is okay, acting like that he was in God's will. Don't fool yourself. Do not fool yourself. Don't think if you act like you're in God's will that suddenly you will be in God's will. Don't, don't walk around and say, hey, look at me. I'm blessed. I got all this. I got all that. I got all the things God wants me. And thinking by you just saying it but not you walking it out places you in God's will. Saul was acting like everything was okay. But the sad thing is, is that there was no remorse in his voice. There was no remorse in his voice. He cheerfully came up to Samuel. There was no awareness of his disobedience. Let me tell you this. The only thing worse than disobeying God is disobeying God and not realizing you did. That's the only thing worse. Because if you disobey God and you know that that was the wrong decision, you say, God, forgive me, then guess what? You could get back on track. But if you disobey God and you don't even realize it, you don't even know it, you don't even have the spiritual awareness to know that you disobey God and you continue down that road, that's way worse than the other side. And Saul was saying, I didn't even know. I didn't even know I disobeyed God. That's really what the difference between Saul and David was. We talked about David a lot these last really four to six months. The difference between David and Saul wasn't that David did not make mistakes and Saul did make mistakes because they both made mistakes. The difference between David and Saul is that David made a mistake and then he went to God. Saul made a mistake and he kept it to himself. David made a mistake, and he said, forgive me, I repent. Saul made a mistake, and he acted like nothing was wrong. And that's what the difference was between the both. I want us to take a look at these two responses to disobedience. Let's look at David's response. Psalms 51, verse 1. This is David's response after disobeying God and doing all the wrong things he did with Bathsheba, okay? If you don't know the story, you can read it in the Bible, all right? It's a long Dramatic story. But he disobeys God. He commits murder. He commits adultery. But look at his response to his disobedience. This is David now in Psalms 51, verse 1. He says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify my sin. For I recognize, everybody say recognize, for I recognize my rebellion, and it haunts me day and night. He said, I recognize what I did wrong. I know what I did was not what you asked me to do, God. I know what I did wasn't the right thing to do. God, I recognize that. And, and he said, God, forgive me. Have mercy on me. That was David's response. David was aware of his disobedience, and not only that, he repented of his mistakes. That's why David was called the man after God's own heart. It wasn't because he was perfect. It wasn't because he didn't make mistakes. It was because he knew where to go when he did make mistakes. 
let me tell you, you have to know where to go after the mistake. You have to know where to go when you do, when you make a, a, a disobedient choice. You have to know where to go. Because if you don't, you can earn, end, like, end up like Saul. Because look at what, okay, now we saw David's response. Look at Saul's response after disobeying God and taking the gold for himself in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 12. This is the next day after sparing the Amalekite king and taking the gold for himself and disobeying God. It says, early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul, and someone told him, Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument. Everybody say monument. To set up a monument to himself. The day after disobeying God, Saul did not go to church. He did not go to prayer. He didn't say, Father, forgive me. He built a statue to his sin. And said, look how great I am. Look how great things I have done. Look at all the gold that I took from the Malachites. Not only was Saul not aware of his disobedience, but he made a monument to his disobedience. He didn't repent of the sin. He celebrated his sin. And he said, look at me. Lord, help us if we ever celebrate our sin. Let us never get to that place in life to where we're so lost that we don't even know that we are. And we begin to celebrate the disobedience and the rebellion that we have against God. Because if you look around right now in the culture that we live in, there's a lot of celebration of sin going on. And if you're not careful, if we're not careful as the church, we can go down that same path and celebrate the rebellion and the disobedience towards God. This is why Saul lost his throne. It wasn't because he made a mistake. It wasn't because he did what was wrong. Because we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to fall short. We're all, none of us are perfect. Saul lost his throne because he wasn't humble enough to repent. To ask God to forgive him. And he was too proud of his sin. Both David and Saul made mistakes, but the question isn't whether or not we make mistakes. The question is whether or not we're going to repent of those mistakes. Whether or not we're going to say, God, I am sorry for what I've done, and I'm not going to do it again. Because let me tell you this, repentance isn't saying, God, I'm sorry, and then repeating. I think some people get repenting and repeating mixed up. Okay, don't look around. Say, so you didn't repent, you repeated. That's not repentance. Repentance is in saying, God, forgive me for what I'm about to do. I met some people like, I already said, I already said, God, forgive me because I'm about to go over there and mess them up. And I'm like, oh, well, well, that's not how repentance works, all right? Repentance is saying, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. Forgive me, Father. 
for what I did. And not only that, but I'm going to put some effort to my faith. I'm going to put my hand to the plow. And guess what? I'm going to make some changes in my life. Because repentance without change doesn't help. That is what leads to repeating the same mistake. If you try to repent but you don't want to change, nothing's going to get better. But true repentance is saying, God, forgive me for what I've done. I'm sorry, God, for the mistakes I've made. I'm sorry for being disobedient to you, God. Forgive me for what I've done. Now I turn my back on the old. I turn my back on the dead. I turn my back on all those habits and those lifestyles. And starting today, right now, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to do something different. I'm not going to do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Because that's not repentance. That's not a repentive heart. A repentive heart is saying, God, forgive me for what I've done. But I'm going to make a change. Come on, who's thankful that we can repent for our mistakes and that we don't have to pay for our mistakes? But we can repent. As we continue, 1 Samuel 15, verse 15. You know, Saul is making all these excuses. Verse 15 says this. He said, yeah, it's true. So you got me. You know, have you ever, um, okay, I've never done this, all right. Sometimes I say something, they're like, you must have done that. Okay, I've never done this. But have you ever been pulled over for speeding and you try to act like you didn't know? Ever done that? Okay, look, again, 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 I said I've never done it, all right? Um, I heard about it. But that doesn't help your case. If you're caught in the act and you try to act like you didn't know what you were doing, that doesn't help your case. But what will help your case to say, I'm sorry, I know what I did, I wasn't paying attention, I was in a hurry, and I went over the speed, li speed limit. I'm sorry, it won't happen again. That's going to go way further with the officer than saying, oh, what, it's, I didn't know. I was going 70 to 30, I thought it was, you know, I didn't know. Right, that doesn't help your case. That's what Saul was trying to say, I didn't know. And he said, okay, you got me. Verse 15. He said, it's true that the armies spare the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted. But they are going to sacrifice them to the, to the Lord your God. Everybody say, your God. He said, they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. And we have destroyed everything else. Saul is the first king of the people of Israel. Saul is the king of the, of the people of Israel that God promised to Abraham that would be his descendant. Saul is the king of the people who God led him out of Egypt, who led him out of slavery, who sent the plagues, who led him through the, through, through the Red Sea, who, who split the, the, the waters, who the one who, after 400 years of slavery, God brought out the, the people of Israel. And then it's the people of Israel that God then provided it in the wilderness. And it was the people of Israel that he gave the promised land to. And and it's the people of Israel who really is the only one who knows the, the real true God. Only the people of Israel. Nobody else. And so it's the people of Israel that Saul was the king of. 
But look at what his response was. He said, but they are going to sacrifice them to the Lord. He didn't say my God. He didn't say our God. He says, I'm going to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God. The king of Israel is not even professing the Lord as his God. He said, the Lord, your God. This says to me that the Lord wasn't Saul's God, but Saul was Saul's God. Because if the Lord was Saul's God, he would say, look, I'm going to sacrifice it to our God, to the, to, the, to the God who led us out of Egypt, to the God who gave us this promised land. But he said, no, I'm going to sacrifice this to your God. In that moment, the Lord wasn't Saul's God. Saul was Saul's God. Now, before you point fingers at Saul, how many times have we made decisions not so that we could please God, but that way we could please ourselves? How many times have we seen what God has been instructing us to do, and instead of us following after what is pleasing to God, we follow after what is pleasing to us? Because really that mindset, that's why Scripture says, he, that's why Samuel said it's like rich craft, because if we are trying to do our will, guess what, who we are serving? Guess who is our God when we only do our will? And let me tell you, it's not, it's not the king of kings. When we are just trying to do our will, guess what? Now you're, you are your own God. You made yourself above God. And that's what Saul did. Saul didn't have that relevant relationship that he needed Saul didn't have that connection. I mean, he had it at one time, but he lost it. Saul didn't have that relationship with God that he needed to be able to obey him. That's point one for tonight is this, is that obedience requires a relevant relationship with God. Obedience requires a relevant, everybody, everybody say relevant, a relevant relationship with God. It's not enough for us to know about God, Saul knew about God, but more importantly, we have to have a relationship, a revelant, revelant relationship with God. See, Saul knew of God, but he didn't have a strong enough relationship with him to obey him. And here's the reason why. Because when you have a relationship with God, you will obey what he asks. When you truly have a relationship with God, you will obey his directions. When you have that relationship with him, you will choose to obey him. Because rules without relationship leads to what? Rebellion. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. You want to know why you can't obey God? Because you haven't had much of a relationship with him. But when you begin to have a relationship with God, 
And when you begin to spend time in his presence and you really begin to know his character, and like I said at the beginning, the more I've learned about God, the more I want to obey God, the more you have a relationship with God, the more you begin to learn about his character and begin to find out that he truly wants the best for you. I'm telling you, the more you learn about God and build that relationship with God, the more you're going to say, God, what's next? I want to obey your commands. Tell me what step to take next. Tell me what you want me to do next. And you're going to want to obey his will. But if you don't have a relationship with him, if you're not spending time with him, if you don't even know his voice, how can you begin to be obedient to God? That's why it's so important for us to have a relationship with God. Because without it, we have no choice but rebellion. We have no choice but to rebel. But it's through our relationship with God that we begin to see what God has asked us to do. It's through that. 1 Samuel 15, 16, we'll continue. I know that was my first point, but we're going to burn through these next two really quick, okay, guys? 1 Samuel 15, 16 says this. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop, stupid. <laughs> he said, stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. He said, Saul said, what did he tell you? He said, although you may think Little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? Do you want to know what God tells us when we disobey him and we're stuck in our sin? He said, look, you might be stuck in the dirt, but don't you know who you are? You, you might be lost in your sin, but don't you know you are my son? You, you might be so caught up in the old, but don't you know that I have made you new? Saul, Samuel was telling Saul, you're a king, but you're acting like a fool. He said, your character is not matching up with your calling. I want to tell you this. You want to keep, you know what keeps me humble? I'm saying, God, let me never, let my character never fall below what you call me to be. It doesn't matter how. It doesn't matter how much we've learned. It doesn't matter how much. Saul is the king now. It doesn't matter how high up we go. We always got to keep ourselves humble. Say, God, let, never let my character fall beneath what you've called me to be. Samuel told Saul, he said, you're behaving below your anointing. You're behaving like you lost your identity. Because if you don't know who you are, then you don't know how to act. If you don't know who you are in Christ, you don't know how to act. I had this friend growing up in high school. It was funny. Every year, he took on a different personality and wardrobe. Every year. I remember one year, this dude was a skater boy, right? He had all the skating clothes on, right? He had the skating shoes on, right? He had the vans on. He, I mean, he was a skater dude, right? He, he talked like a skater dude, he acted like it. Following year, man, he was a cowboy. Man, this guy had the cowboy hat on, the Wrangler jeans, cowboy boots on, right? He had, uh, he had that, um, you know, those, those, cow, those kids in high school try to act like they're cowboys and try to act like they're dipping, you know what I'm saying? They have like that... Uh, it's this beef jerky, but they're acting like it's, you know what I'm saying? He had that. He was a cowboy. Following year, man, he was a gangster. 
following year, you don't mess with this dude. Now now he had on the Jordans. He had the chains on, man. He, he acted totally different, man. He was living, listening to totally different music. And every year was something different. But we want to know what was sad about him. He wasn't trying to find what fit him the most. He was trying to find how he could fit in with others the most. He wasn't trying to say, hey, this is me. He's trying to say, what can I do for others to like me the most? What can I do to fit in with others? What can I do to fit in with, with what, what's going on now? I, maybe I need to change my clothes. Maybe I need to change how I act. Maybe if I do that, then I'll fit in. Maybe if I... And he never found himself in Christ because he was trying to fit in with everybody else. Let me tell you this. If you try to fit in with the world, you will never fit in with Christ. If you try to fit in with everybody else and try to fit in what the world is saying, what the world is doing, if you try to fit in and try to say, you know what, maybe if I act like this and talk like that, maybe they'll be my friends. Maybe if I drink that, they'll be my friends. Maybe if I, if I do that, they'll, they'll hang out with me. Let me tell you this. Stop trying to act like the world. You're not called to act like the culture of this world. We're called to behave like the culture of Christ. To know who we are. Because if our goal is to try and fit in with the world, we're going to be lost in ourselves. But we have to have this mindset and say, look, I'm not trying to fit in with anybody else. You want to know why? Because I know who I am in Christ. If you don't know who you are, you're not going to know how to act. Let me tell you that. If you don't know who you are in Christ, you're not going to know how to act. You're going to be wearing a cowboy hat one day. You're going to then be... Wearing a snapback the next day. You're not going to know how to act. You're going to be drinking one day. You're going to be doing this the next. You're not going to know how to act. But if you say, I know who I am in Christ. I know what the truth is. I know what the word of God says. And I'm not trying to fit in with the world. I'm trying to fit in with the word of God and what the word of God says to do. That is what allows us to be obedient to God. It's that we have to know our identity. And that's point two for tonight. It's that our identity, everybody say identity. Our identity determines our obedience. I want you to think about this. We identify as citizens of America, right? So therefore, we have to obey the laws of America. And if you disobey the laws of America, where are you going? You're going to jail and then church, right? If you identify yourself as a worker with some company, whatever it is, and, you, and then that means you have to submit yourself to the rules of that company, right? And if you disobey those rules, and if you don't do what is asked of you, what happens to you? You get fired. If we are going to identify ourselves as children of God, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but then try to act like we don't have to obey the laws of his kingdom, we're kidding ourselves. But if you truly identify yourself as the children of God, as, as the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, then you're going to obey his rules, you're going to obey his laws, and you're going to walk in the purpose and the plans and the promises that he has. What 
and who we identify as determines who we are obedient to. And when you know who you are, here's what's awesome about, here's what's awesome about being a child of God. Because it's unlike anything else in the world. When you know who you are, you're not confused about what to do. You're not. When you know who you are, you're not confused about what to do. And if you're in the house tonight and you're confused about what to do, can I give you some advice? God has given us something so awesome called his word that whenever we are confused, he said, here's the truth to make things clear. And he gives us his word. He gives us scripture to make things clear. And that's what awesome about what we are able to do is that when we're making a decision, we don't have to act like the world and go crazy, okay? We don't have to act like the world and start pointing fingers. We don't have to act like everybody else and say, you know what, let's flip a coin. Let's say, I don't know, you know, let's try to figure, no. When we don't know what to do and we are confused, we can go to the word of God and his truth makes things clear. His truth gives us a path and then we can say, you know what, I know who I am. Therefore, I know what to do. Who's thankful to be a child of God tonight? We're almost done. We're almost done. 1 Samuel 15, 18. This is Samuel talking to Saul. He said, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you to go and to completely destroy. Everybody say destroy. Completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. God told him to completely destroy. Man, that sounds kind of harsh. All right? You ever read the Bible and be like, man, that's harsh, God. That's harsh of you, especially in the Old Testament. Like, man, thank, thank, thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Amen? I don't know how long we'd be surviving in the Old Testament, I'll tell you that. It seems harsh, but let me give you the context. 400 years prior to this event, the Amalekites, the same people, attacked the nation of Israel shortly after they were freed from captivity. So shortly after being freed from captivity, the, the people of Israel were weak. Uh, they were on the brink of starvation. They were vulnerable to be attacked. And at that moment, 400 years prior to the story that we're reading, the Amalekites came in and killed many Israelites. But the Lord... In that, Lord helped them, help the Israelites to fight off the Amalekites in Exodus 14. But look at what God said in Exodus 14, 14. 400 years, everybody say 400. 400 years before this event. This is what God said, Exodus 14, 14. He said, after the victory, I put it on the wrong scripture. All right, I'm going to read the one I meant to, meant to send. Exodus, Exodus 14. This is what God said to the, to the nation of Israel after they defeated the Amalekites 400 years prior to the story we're reading by, about. It says, after the victory, the Lord instructed Moses. He said, write this down on the scroll as a permanent, everybody say permanent, as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. And this is God speaking now. He said, I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. That was God speaking. He said, I will erase. Now, fast forward 400 years later. Saul tells 
God tells Saul to totally destroy and erase the Amalekites. God made a promise that he would wipe out the Amalekites for their violence against the Israelites. And 400 years later, God then, let me tell you this. If God says something, he's going to do it. 400 years later, he then tells Saul to do what he, he said he was going to do 400 years earlier. God still remembered the promise he made and the sins that were committed. This tells me two things. A, God is a promise keeper. Who's thankful that when God says something, it's permanent? So I don't know what God has told you or promise he has made you, but you need to take that to the bank. Because when God says something, when he makes you a promise, it's permanent. The second, second thing this tells me is that even after 400 years, because of the sins of their ancestors, even after 400 years, God still held the sins of their ancestors against the Amalekites. Why? Because time does not erase sin. Time does not erase sin. Have you ever made a mistake and been like, you know what, if I wait like, you know, six months from now, I won't even remember it. You know, ever done? Time does not erase sin. There's an old saying that goes like this, that time heals all. But let me tell you this, time does not erase the stain of sin. Time does not erase the, the blotch that rebellion leaves, time does not erase it. Only the blood of Jesus erases the stain of sin. So it doesn't matter how long ago it happened, because there's two, it doesn't matter how long ago it happened. You might say, well, I've done so many things so long ago, how can God really forgive me for that? God can forgive you of that, because time does not erase sin. Jesus erases sin. His blood erases sin. What he has done for us, that is what erases sin. Sin. Man, who's thankful for the blood of Jesus that erases all of our sin? But as we continue in the story, so Saul's making excuses for his disobedience. And he's tried to, he tried to convince Samuel, the prophet of God, that what he was doing was right because he was shortly after going to sacrifice the animals that he stole to God. Saul was saying, yeah, I, I kept the best things for myself, but I'm going to sacrifice them to, to God. But this is what Samuel replied to him in verse 22. It says, but Samuel replied, what is more pleasing? 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience. Everybody say obedience. Or your obedience to his voice. He said, listen, obedience is better. Everybody say better. Obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. This is what Samuel was trying to tell him, and this is what God was trying to say. I don't need your stuff. You can't give me something that I don't already have. You can't, you can't make up for disobedience by saying, well, you know what, God, I disobeyed you, but I'm going to, I committed a sin, but you know what, I'm, I'm going to give a little bit extra in the tithes and offering. You can't give nothing to God that he doesn't already have. You can't say, well, you know what, God, I committed a sin, so you know what, I'm going to be really good, and if I see somebody who needs to cross the street, I'm going to help them. There's no, it doesn't matter what we do, there's nothing that we can't give God that he has already. 
God said, I don't need your sacrifices. I'm not looking for what you can offer. I'm not looking for the value that you gained because of your sin. I'm not looking for that. He said, I'm looking for obedience. God doesn't look at us by what we can offer. God looks at us by our obedience. God doesn't look at you and say, because you have the experience and the talents, therefore you are now, now you have qualified for my will. He doesn't look at you and say, because of the amount that you have in the bank, that now qualifies you for my will. No, what he's looking for is not things, it's not stuff, it's not whatever things we think we can sacrifice. What God is looking for is our obedience. God is looking for our obedience. Everybody say obedience. God is looking for our obedience, and that should, that should bring revelation to you. Because I don't know if the enemy has ever spoken to you in a way that's saying it doesn't matter how much you obey because of what you've done wrong. There's nothing, there's no way you can qualify for God's will now. Or the enemy might convince you of saying, well, you know what? You have no talent. You have no skill. You have no experience. You have no degrees. So even if you obey God the rest of your life, there's not much he can do with you. Or saying, you, you know what? You, you don't have enough to do what God's called you to do, even if you're obedient. But what God is looking for is obedience. Worship team, you can join me. What God is looking for is obedience. I learned this firsthand early in my walk with God. I was at Bible college, and there was a, there was a summer camp full of youth. There's probably five, 600 youth. And we're in a, a, a prayer moment. The altars are open, and there's hundreds of youth at the front. So I'm going around this, you know, early in my walk with God, really early in my, in my submittance in my walk with God. And so I was just walking around, and I was just praying for, for the students that were at the front. I was just praying for them and trying to allow God to lead me. And I remember as I was praying for all these, all these students at the front. I looked up and there was a there was a youth way in the back. He was a big old boy. Arms were crossed, frown on his face, acting like he didn't want nothing to do to be there. And when I looked up, right when I looked up, God highlighted him and he said, Go pray for him. And I remember saying to God, I said, God, look at him. He's way in the back. His arms are crossed. He has a frown on his face. And he's a pretty big boy. Why would I waste my time and go all the way back there to somebody who doesn't even, not even have the hunger to go to the altars, who's not even at the altars, when there are hundreds of youth and students in front of me? Why would I waste my time and go back there? Remember thinking that. And I just continue to, to pray for the students that are at the front. But I remember about five minutes later, I look up. And I see that guy in the back. But this time, there was another leader there praying for him. And I see that young guy's arms lifted high. Tears coming down his face receiving what he was there to receive. 
And when I looked up, I felt such conviction from God. And the Holy Spirit told me, he said, look, I'm not looking for what you can offer. I'm not looking for talents. I'm not looking for how, how holy you might think you are. I'm looking for obedience. And if you don't obey me, somebody else will. And shortly after being prayed for, that young guy ran to the front. His pockets were full of weapons and drugs. And he threw all those things on the altar and he just began to worship God. And that's when I told myself, I told myself, say, God, let this never happen again. I will never make this mistake again. I don't care if it's for the person in the back. I don't care if, it's, if it means that it, I, I'm in the spotlight or if I'm in the back where nobody sees me. I don't care where it is, God. I just want to be obedient. Because I don't want to miss out on this ever again. I never want to think that I know better than you, God. Because truly, God, you know what's best. Can you stand to your feet? Point three for tonight is this. Is that obedience requires humility. Obedience requires humility. For us to walk in obedience, we have to walk in humility. We have to walk in the understanding that God knows better than we do. If we're not able to put down our pride, to put down what we think we know, and to put down our ego and say yes to him and walk in humility, we won't be able to be obedient. That's what Saul was saying. Saul was saying this, God, I know you asked me to destroy everything. I know what you asked me to do, but I think I know better than you. Because you know what? I could take the best livestock and the gold and silver and I could do something good with it. I could sacrifice this livestock to you and I could make this gold and silver into a, a monument to myself. Saul was arguing with Samuel and told him, to say, look, I know what God has asked me to do, but you know what? I'm going to be disobedient now, and I'll make up for it later. I'll be disobedient now, and then I'll make sacrifices to God later. And if you're not careful, you can be stuck in that same mindset saying, God, I know better than you, so I'm going to do what I want to do now, and then I'll be obedient to you later. I, I'll do the things that I feel like is best for myself now, but don't worry, God, I'll make up for it later. But Samuel responded with, he said, no, obedience. Everybody say obedience. He said, obedience is better than sacrifice. Present obedience is better than future sacrifice. Because we can get caught up and say, I won't listen now, but don't worry, I'll listen later. And I remember when I was in high school, that was my mindset. Saying, God, I know really what you want me to do, 
but I got a lot of time. I'll listen to you later. But what happens is that later never comes. And we get stuck in that cycle of this pushing God off, pushing off his will, pushing off obedience and saying, God, don't worry. I'll make up for it later. Don't worry, God. I know I'm not listening to you now, but I'll, don't worry. I'm going to pray tomorrow. God, I know I'm making a mistake and I'm going to that website I shouldn't go to. Or I'm, I'm going to that drink I shouldn't go to, but don't worry. I'm going to stop later. And we get stuck in a cycle. Because I don't think that Saul overnight lost his relationship with God. I think over time of pushing God off. He said, don't worry, God, I know what you're asking me to do today, but I can always do it tomorrow. And he kept on pushing off God, pushing off God, pushing off God. And before he knew it, he didn't even know when he was disobeying anymore. Before he knew it, he didn't even know that he was disobeying. Because he was pushing God off for so long, it became, that became his relationship with God. Wasn't him pulling him closer, was him pushing God further off. He's saying, God, maybe tomorrow. Later, I'll make up for it. But we don't serve a God of later. We serve a God of right now. Right now, there are people hurting in your neighborhoods. Right now, there are people in your workplace that need to see you portray the character of Christ. Right now, there might be people under the sound of my voice needing a touch from God, but God's not looking at you and saying, okay, I'll take care of you later. No, we serve a God of right now. We serve a God, and in that moment, breakthrough can happen. Right now, a miracle can take place. Right now, chains can fall off. That's the type of God that we serve. It's the God of right now. God, thank you for right now entering into this place, God. I thank you that right now we're aligning our minds we're aligning this atmosphere. We're aligning our spirits with you. And God, we're not going to wait till later to be obedient. But we're going to be obedient right now. We're going to say yes to you right now. We're going to begin to repent for what we know is wrong right now. We're not going to wait till later. The sad thing about Saul is that when he was disobedient to God and he spared the Amalekites, it didn't just affect him. But the descendants of the Amalekites he spared... became the oppressors of Israel. In the book of Esther, Haman, who wanted to destroy Israel and all the Israelites, he was a descendant of Amalekite. If Saul would have, would have obeyed, his descendants wouldn't have had to pay the price. 
but it was because of his disobedience. It didn't just affect him, it affected his descendants. I don't know about you. I don't want my disobedience to carry on to my descendants. And because of my mistake, now they have to pay for it. Our obedience isn't just about us, it's about the people around us. Don't think that you can go out and do your own thing and that it'll only affect you. Don't think you can go out and be, be disobedient to God and do what you know you shouldn't do, but think it's not going to affect your children because it will. Don't think you can go out and be in rebellion towards God and think, well, it's not going to affect my, my brother or my sister or my household because it will. But on the flip side, when we choose to be obedient to God, it's not just a blessing to us, but it's a blessing to our households, our families, our neighbors, to the region. And that's where we see the fruit take place. I'm going to close with these scriptures and then we're going to pray. Romans 6.16 says this. It says, don't you realize that you became the slave of whatever you choose to obey. Everybody say obey. So don't you realize that you are a slave to who you obey? That you can either be a slave to sin that leads to death, or you can be a slave to God, obey God, and that leads to righteous living. We are all obedient to something, but who we are obedient to is our decision. Matthew 6, We know this scripture, so it doesn't even have to be up there. Matthew 6, 33, Jesus speaking, says, put first the kingdom of heaven. Everybody say first. Put first the kingdom of heaven, and all other things will be added to you. This is a thought I want us to close with is this. Is that obedience... Is our opportunity to put God first in our lives. Obedience is the opportunity. Everybody say opportunity. And this is our closing point. Obedience is our opportunity to put God first. Everybody say first. First in our lives. So here's the cool thing. When God has given you an opportunity to be obedient... It's now our opportunity to put him first. Matthew 6, says that if we put first the kingdom of God, then all things will be added unto us. So every time we are obedient, we are putting God first. Every time we have a chance and a choice to be obedient, now it's an opportunity to put God first. We should jump at every opportunity to be obedient. Because what we are doing is saying, God, I'll put you first. God, I'll put you first. God, I'll put you first in my household. God, I'll put you first in my job. God, I'll put you first in my mind. God, I'll put you first in my life. I'm not going to choose sin. I'm not going to choose the culture. I'm not going to choose even my own desires. God, I'm going to be obedient because obedience is an opportunity to put you first. 
with every head bowed and eyes closed, let's pray tonight. Father, I thank you right now for what you're doing in this atmosphere, in this house, God, that we're going to be obedient to you, Father. That right now, everybody say right now. Right now, we're going to be obedient. Right now, we're going to choose to follow after you. Right now, we're going to put you first in our lives. Right now, God, we're going to choose to put you first. Because, God, when we put the kingdom first, all other things will be added unto us. So, God, help us be obedient. God, we thank you for building up, God. God, the boldness on the inside of us, God. For building up, God, the sensitivity, sensitivity that we have, God, to your God spirit so that way we can be obedient and have clarity and not confusion to what we need to do. I know we went a little longer tonight, but I want to be obedient in this moment. If the pastors and elders can join us up front, somebody is struggling with the spirits of rebellion. If you are struggling to obey the spirit of God, if you say, Pastor CJ, it doesn't matter how much I try, it seems that I can't just say yes to him, and I'm stuck in a cycle, and I keep on being in the same thing over and over again. If that's you, the altars are open. Come to the front. Our pastors and prayer partners would love to pray for you. But let's go into the song of worship. Let's worship together. The altars are open. If there's something on your heart, come to the front and God will fill you up. Come on, let's sing together. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit riversidechurchtx.com.